First of all, I have to warn you, this podcast is for investment professionals only. Now, you join me tucked away in our offices in Cannon Street in London as we career towards deadline for our latest edition of Fidelity Answers. This time it's on the topic of risk and how to take it wisely. What you're about to hear was recorded in October 2017, but is just as relevant today. We wanted to look at what developed markets can learn from emerging markets. Hello. Political risk is something that investors in emerging markets have to take in their stride, or at least prepare for the sucker punch when it comes. But we live in interesting times, and political risk is everywhere you look, in developed markets as well, from an unpredictable US president to elections in Germany and Britain and the yet-to-be-determined impact of Brexit, all with or is it without Russian interference. It's enough to make your head reel, and it's been making some developed market currencies far more volatile than they've been in the past. Well, I'm joined by two Fidelity portfolio managers, Aruna Karunathalaika, who runs UK equity funds, and on the line from Singapore is Alex Duffy, who manages an emerging market fund. Hello to you both. Hello. Aruna, we're recording this discussion in the wake of an unfolding political scandal in Brazil, which sent shares down 10% within hours, and the currency, the real, another 8% lower. Well, sterling hasn't quite thrashed around like that, but it's still about 12% weaker against the dollar than it was the day before the Brexit vote last year. Um, How significant are currency moves for you? Well, they're becoming um, increasingly more significant. So, you know, before Brexit, we weren't used to seeing currency moves of more than 4 or 5% a year. Whereas, you know, about a year ago now, suddenly we had a very large move and the peak to trough move of 160 to 120 was, was, you know, very large compared to uh, anything I'd seen before in my investing career. So it's something that um, I definitely am having to spend more time thinking about now than than I'm used to. And Alex, I I presume that this is a large part of um, of your work as well. Yeah, it's integral to the to the research process and integral to portfolio construction when it comes to emerging markets is is stress testing underlying good companies for changes in exogenous factors like currencies like commodity prices like interest rates so so it is it is a critical part of the investment process within emerging markets to say the least so aruna um, can you explain what the um what the dangers are um to your portfolio when you see um a currency um impact as as as, as we are as you just described with um with sterling yeah, so the first thing that we, we think about and that we've always thought about even prior to the larger moves this year is is really to look at the currency exposure of the portfolio. So the UK is one of the most international markets in the world. Only about one third of FTSE profits come from the UK. So we've always thought about uh, our portfolio exposures to the dollar, to emerging market currencies. But historically, it's been more to manage exposures to emerging market currencies that, that have thrashed about a bit more rather than... Um, worry about sterling, which has been relatively stable historically. Um, And what's new for me over the last 12 months is really like Alex has been doing on emerging markets, having to think about the impact of moves in sterling on the P&L of companies. Um, For retailers, their hedging strategy is something that we've had to really focus in on and give a lot more uh, time to than we were used to. We've also had to consider um, exporters and the impact that changes in sterling will have on their pricing and therefore levels of profitability. So we're having to you know, go down and talk to our colleagues in emerging markets and maybe take on board some of the techniques they've been using for years. 
Alex, can you tell us some of those um, techniques? What, what, what do you do? How do you deal with it? Well, I think really when I deal with currencies, I deal with it in three core ways at a stock level um, and actually a sovereign level as well. The first is really to consider the operational impact that the currency has um, on the earnings power of a business. So as Aruna alluded to, what are the P&L impacts of currency movements? How do they change margin structures? Um, and are some businesses profits actually being flattered by a particular currency environment that, that, that actually may be susceptible to change. So, so that's really the, the first impact is to, un, is, is to understand the underlying cash generation and how that gets impacted by, by currencies. The second is to have a good look at the balance sheet structure. Um, and this is probably more of an issue for emerging markets, but often you see situations where companies will borrow in, in cheaper currencies, typically euros, sterling or, or US dollars, and then invest that, 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 that debt into emerging market assets. And when those cash flows from the assets don't match the, the, the currency in which the interest uh, has to be paid back, that can lead to severe problems for equity holders when, when the currencies move around. So, so really stress test the balance sheets and make sure that, that cash flows and assets and debt is, is, is equally matched. And then just, just finally at a sovereign level, it's really about understanding um, what, the, what the risk to, 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 to currencies are as a consequence uh, and government balance sheets as a consequence of currency price movements. So it, it, it's the three key areas that I look at. Well, Aruna, let me come to you on the second point that Alex made there about the idea of borrowing in one currency, um, but you've got um, uh, your earnings in another, that, that mismatch. Is that something that, that, that happens in the UK or is that, is that something much more for emerging markets? It's much more for emerging markets because in the UK, uh, we've got deep and liquid uh, debt markets in, in most of the currencies the companies operate in. So you have a good match between profits uh, and borrowing. So that's something we don't have to worry about. An area where companies have been caught out is more on the hedging, so having costs and revenues um, in, in different currencies. And the best example was Sports Direct, um, who for some bizarre reason decided not to hedge sterling, even though they buy all of their um, products in dollars. And so three days after Brexit, they came out and said that um, they hadn't hedged, and with the pound having fallen from 160 to you know 130, uh, that they were going to have a, a significant decline in profits as a result. And this is something that you know we'd assumed that that they would have been hedging. So our analysts had to very quickly ring round all of the other retailers and just make sure they had uh, sensible hedging strategies in in place. M most of most of them did, but there were one or two exceptions. Um, who, like Sports Direct, maybe hadn't thought it through as, as much as they could have. So they assumed uh, a bit too much, and perhaps um, uh, investors in the UK might also have been assuming too much as well until now. Yes, and I think we, we've just had a wake-up call that, that you know, hedging is something that we need to be having conversations with companies about regularly, whereas uh, a year or two ago it was maybe just a passing comment at the end of a meeting. Um, are these costs that are going to be passed on to customers, um, or are the companies that you look at, are they having to soak it up themselves? Well, that's a really interesting question, and one that um, is going to determine you know, the profit outlook for many of the retailers over the next few months. So where we are today is companies who have hedged have been covered, so they haven't had to pass costs on to date. Uh, but that hedging is running out really as we speak. So over the summer, we'll find out which companies have the ability to pass on 
that those rises to customers and which don't. And there have been some interesting examples already. So carpet retailers have managed to pass on the cost to customers without any problem. We've seen that happen already. Uh, and that's really because customers don't know the price of carpet, whereas food retailers, uh, for instance, every time they raise prices, it really is under scrutiny. So we saw the, uh, you know, the press interest over the price of Marmite a few months ago. So I think it's going to be a lot more difficult uh, for companies where the price of their goods is highly transparent to pass that on to customers, whereas if pricing is a bit more opaque, no one really knows what a square foot of carpet costs, you can probably get that through without too much problem. And, and Alex, what are the differences that remain um, between the, the way that uh, you have to look at your investments in emerging markets and um, the, uh, the, the patterns that we are seeing now um, in the rest of the world? Yeah, I think one of the key things that, that you know, that strikes us in emerging markets is more of an issue perhaps than what, what we see in, in developed markets given what Aruna alluded to around depth, depth of local debt markets is that really where currencies cause a major problem is when there's a balance sheet mismatch. Um, and so countries such as Turkey, uh, Brazil where you ha or Indonesia where you have a very high cost of local debt there is a there is a real issue um, when currencies move aggressively that you have significant write downs of equity value and, and that can lead to capital raisins which are permanent losses for for the um, for, for, for the equity holders uh, you know the p l impacts is much more about the ability of the company to pass through that pricing and, and that comes through to the strength of the brand um, and so my experience has been to, if you understand the underlying strength of the brand, how willing customers are to pay up for for good products from 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 good companies, um, then they tend to be more resilient than than other players that operate in much more competitive uh, competitive areas. And finally, Aruna, you know it's something you, you talked about a wake up call, um, but people are alert to it um, now. Um, how do you see things developing over the next twelve months or so? And what should investors be um, be wary of? Yeah, I think that um, Brexit for me remains a, a known unknown. So I think there will be more currency volatility going forward. That's something I'll have to deal with. Um, and, and one thing, again, that, that, that we've learned from our emerging market colleagues is that if you do have companies with, with diverse currency exposures um, that aren't exposed to sterling, you know, if, if sterling's a small part of their business, then maybe we should pay up a bit more for that stability. So I think some of the big global consumer staples companies listed in the UK, um, such as Unilever, Diageo, uh, British American Tobacco, um, you know, maybe they should trade at a bit of a premium to, you know, acknowledge the fact that they are global and resilient and, and not really going to be buffeted about too much by sterling. So a changing world, a changing investment world. Uh, Aruna, Alex, thank you both very much indeed. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for information purposes only and is intended only for the person or entity to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website or the Fidelity SoundCloud or iTunes apps.